Welcome to Kahalui Baptist Church. If it's your first time with us, we will be in the Gospel according to John. Uh, or you could say the Gospel according to Keone, if you're here in Hawaii. Sorry, my earpiece gave me a little bit of trouble. Uh, first, I'd like to say congratulations to the graduates. Do we have any graduates in here this morning? Graduates, of your, all right, Whitney Blondo, right on. Congratulations, Whitney. You have got you some education. I hope you make a difference in the world. No, uh, anybody else? Any other graduates in here, or are they all passed out still, uh, trying to recover from their grad night? Uh, none. I don't see any. But we have uh, Deanne Contreras and uh, Dane. He graduated as well, and a few others. Trey. Um, and so just congratulate them, reach out to them, encourage them. Uh, who remembers graduating from high school? Uh, how, can you go that far back? I mean, some of you, you remember graduating. Some of you are like, I know I did graduate, but I just don't remember it. Uh, it's a new season of life, isn't it? A new season, a, a transition, time of transition for both the graduate and the families, right? There's all sorts of, of new things that happen, and, and in, a high, in high school, uh, sometimes you've had friends you've grown up your entire life with, don't you? Or most of it. And you feel like uh, there's a sorrow over departing, right? It's, uh, you, you write things in the yearbook, and you take pictures, and it's like, this isn't goodbye, it's see you later, and, and uh, you know, take care, and all, all these things, and we'll be friends forever, BFF. And those of us who are a little bit further out of high school realize very quickly, most of those friends, you go separate ways, never to see or hear from them again, even some who are very dear. But nonetheless, the transition is still somewhat fearful, painful, uncertain, unsure. And in the Gospel of John, we find ourselves there this morning, a time of transition. The disciples have been with Jesus. He's literally changed their lives. Their lives have been upended. They left everything to follow him for three years. And now they're being told for the first time in no uncertain terms, I'm leaving and you can't follow me. You can't come with me. Uh, you, you won't be there with me anymore. I'm leaving categorically. It's going to be entirely different. And much like our graduates, in some ways even more so, they're feeling extremely disturbed and troubled at what they're hearing. See, if that was all they were told, that would be bad enough. But they were also told, one of you is going to betray me, and Peter, the best of you, is going to deny me. It's just wave after wave, and so we jump into the middle of this very private discourse, a very intimate conversation with Jesus and his eleven now, because Judas has now gone out and is seeking to betray him. And what Jesus is doing is he's, he's sensing this hour of trouble for himself. He's sensing the disturbed nature of their souls, the turmoil of their souls, and now he's trying to offer them comfort. And that's where we jump in, the middle here of John 14, verse 15. And so as Jesus offers comfort to their souls, he's also offering comfort to ours as well. And I pray that you find the comfort that is from the Holy Spirit this morning. So let's pray, and we'll launch 
right into it. Father in heaven, we thank you for the word made flesh. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for the hope that is ours in Christ, that even in times of trouble, in times of turmoil, Lord, that you are present always with us in person, in your promises. And now we're going to see very clearly in this gospel, you're present with us by the power of your Holy Spirit. So may we uh, as believers in here, take heed to what this means for us today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, point number one, the promised spirit. Point number one, the promised spirit. The so number two will be the promised adoption. So point number two will be the promised adoption. And point number, th- number three will be the promised peace. The promised peace. Jesus is going to promise them a few things here to help ease their troubled soul. So this is actually, I gave you three last Sunday, two more on Wednesday, and now that's three more now. So what is that? Eight. We're up to eight things uh, that the Lord is encouraging them, comforting them with uh, in this discourse. And he starts with the promised spirit, almost what some have called the forgotten person of the Trinity or the faceless person person of the Godhead, the Holy Spirit of God. We think of God the Father. We think of Christ, the Word made flesh, and we often overlook and maybe forget the promised Spirit of God. Now, some of you have different backgrounds. We all come from very different backgrounds. Some of you may have the background where you grew up in maybe a Pentecostal-type church or one Assembly of God-type church where, where the emphasis, they came literally out of a reaction against this stoicness, against the almost facelessness of the tri, the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, and they almost reacted against and are now wholly focused on the life of the Spirit post-Pentecost, the power of the Spirit in the Christian life. They're coming out almost as a reaction against the Stoicness that you could say was present in the Presbyterians and the Methodists and the Baptists. And with good charge. There's credence. There's weight to that charge. We have, in some ways, neglected or overseen or not spoken enough about the vital role, the importance of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer. And this is what Jesus is promising his disciples as he's about to leave. So it is extremely crucial to our Christian walk to be healthy, growing, holistic, abiding in Christ, to recognize this vital role the Spirit plays in our salvation, in our sanctification. That's our being made like Jesus, and ultimately in our glorification. So Jesus starts in verses 15 as he's starting to to come into this promise of the Spirit, Remember, he's answering Thomas's question, sorry, Philip's question. Uh, show us the Father and it's enough. He's still answering that question. And then he goes in verse 15. He says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive. And we'll go on and we'll get into the rest of that here in a moment. But I want you to see is how he ties intrinsically. Love and obedience are tied together. They're knit together. If you love me, you will keep my 
commandments. Now, you can obey without loving, can't you? Some of you obey your boss at work or your employer or somebody, and you listen to them, and you maybe don't love them very much at all. Right? You can obey without loving, but you cannot love without obeying. You cannot love without obeying. This calls to mind uh, David and Jonathan, the, the intimate friendship. Jonathan, the son of Saul, second in line to the throne. David, before he was a king, they were tied together. They were, they were so close of friends, even the best of friends. And Jonathan would, at that time, before he was a king, and after David is a king, Jonathan would, would submit to and obey David. But even before he was a king, Jonathan listened to David, not because he had to, but because he loved David. Because he trusted David. He listened to him because he loved him. And so we see the same thing here. You cannot love without obeying now, we often uh, unintentionally and confusingly make a sharp distinction between law and grace, don't we? As if under Moses, we got law. Old Testament was law, just hard. But New Testament in Jesus, there's, there's grace. There's no law. It's not about what you do. It's about what he did. Now, of course, there is truth to all of that, but an accurate understanding of the Scriptures does not allow for such a sharp distinction. It doesn't allow for it if we take it as a whole. Why? Because if some have noted, as many have noted, there is grace in the law, isn't there? God's revealing of his holy law, of his character to Moses was a gracious act. It was gracious of God to give his people the law and restrain their sin. He didn't give that to any other nation. There was grace in the law, a ton of it. There's also law and grace, isn't there? If you love me, you will obey my commandments. The grace of God works in us, Ephesians chapter 2, that we are saved by grace through faith for good works. See, the distinction, while legitimate, is not a sharp division. We cannot ultimately separate law and grace. To do so is to make an eternal consequence. To miss this vital role of our obedience and our love for God. We cannot claim to love God. We can't. And regularly and habitually live in disobedience to Him. You can't. We just cannot. We can struggle with obedience to Him. We can, we can have a hard time obeying at times, but we cannot claim to love God and habitually and regularly live in a pattern of disobedience to Him. Because our obedience will overflow out of our hearts. It will align with one another. Now the problem with this is that God's commands for fallen creatures like all of us are all but impossible to obey. It's impossible for us to obey. Because of Genesis chapter 3, because of the fall, because of sin, how it's infected every portion of our being, it is impossible for fallen creatures to obey God's commands apart from divine help. Apart 
from divine intervention. In other words, if we just try to do this in our own strength, in our own abilities, we will fail God's commands. That's Romans. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Over and over, Romans is driving it home. The wages of sin is death. If we try in our own commands, or our own ability to obey God's commands, we will fail. So we need help. We need assistance. We need divine help in order to do this. And this is the exact help that Jesus promises to give, isn't it? This is the exact help he promises to give. And so he introduces this idea of the helper, the comforter, the advocate. Here in verse 17, uh, starting in verse 16, he says, oh, there's my spot. If you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I'm going to ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth. And so he introduces this promise of another helper. Another, meaning Jesus is a helper, isn't he? He's a counselor. Your, your translation may see, what does this one say up here? Your translation may see, where's it at, where's it at? Um, right there in the middle, up, right there, helper. So this one says helper. Your translation might say comforter. Yours might say counselor. Yours might say advocate, uh, depending on what it is. They're, they're trying to translate this, this word here that's very important. We'll talk about in a minute. But by saying I'll give you a, he will give you another, means that Jesus is this. He has been this for them. He has been teaching them all, truth about God. He's been revealing to them truth about God. And, and now, even though he's leaving, He's going to give them another helper as well. Like I said, some of these may have the idea of advocate. This has a legal overtone to it, this word. A legal overtone. Uh, an advocate like you would have in a court of law or a counselor. This isn't a camp counselor. Okay, that's not the type of counselor. It's not a, not a marriage counselor, not that type of counselor. It's what a judge might refer to as an attorney sometime as counselor. Objection, Your Honor. Yes, Counselor, sustain. It's a, it's a legal advocate in a court of law. Uh, I recently went to court. Well, I've been to court many times since I've been in Maui uh, in my role as an officer. Uh, I went to court actually on the other side of things not so long ago. Um, a few weeks ago, I know you guys are all worried, like, whoa, what'd you go to court for? I'll tell you. Uh, it was a windy day. Wind blew my gate open. My dog got out. So long story short, I'll spare you all the, the details. Uh, I was cited for a leash law violation, which to my great surprise is not a fine. You have to go to court, stand before a judge if you get cited for leash law violation. And so I go to court, and uh, it's a very strange feeling being on the other side of things, and um, it's a very humbling feeling. There's actually a lot of uh, parallels here because nobody cared that I was a pastor. Nobody cared that I had been a police officer prior before. Nobody even knew that. I was there in kind of clothes somewhat like this with guys who were in street clothes and businessmen who were in full three-piece suits and everybody waiting to appear before the judge. They don't care who you are. You're going to stand trial. And I just couldn't help but think uh, Revelation and the books were opened, Right? And the Lord's going to judge all men in perfect righteousness and holiness. And I was like, oh, this is kind of heavy. Um, as I'm thinking these things, sitting there waiting my turn. And, 
and, and they're calling up before everybody, reading off the charges. Um, nobody knew what the charges were uh, because they called the state the statute number. Uh, I knew what they were, um, but nobody else, if, you, if you're not familiar with the law, you don't know what the charges are, but they called them out. And so I was thinking, oh, geez, are they going to call out mine? <laughs> Leash law violation, right? And they did. Animal at large, Randy Polly, come forward. I know, I'm like, okay. Come forward, stand before the judge. Now I get to enter my plea, right? He, he re- recaps the charges, uh, and I, I get to enter my plea. Guilty, not guilty, no contest. And of course, I'm like, I'm guilty, okay? That's just what it is. I'm not trying to, I'm guilty. God, dog got off leash, I'm sorry. Whatever it is, I'll pay whatever it is. So uh, as, as he asks, he stands and says, you know, guilty, not guilty. The prosecutors at my left hand, prosecutor works, they're, they're not your friend, right? Prosecutors, they're, they're the friend of the state. So you want a defense attorney. I didn't have my friend. I had no defense attorney. Prosecutors present. Judge asks, what's your plea? Guilty, not guilty. I'm literally about to say, the prosecutor says, uh, your honor, uh, this case, I'm not familiar with the details of the case. Uh, it seems like there was some sort of clerical error. I would like to recommend you dismiss the charges without prejudice. <laughs> Judge looks at me. Is this okay with you? <laughs> yes, sir. <laughs> right? What happened? I had an advocate, an unexpected advocate, the prosecutor, legal counselor, stepped in unexpectedly. And is this not what the Spirit does? Because in John chapter 16, he's called the advocate in a different way because he's going to convict the world of sin and judgment. But because of the blood of Christ, the advocate who once stood prosecuting us now turns because wrath has been satisfied and he pleads our acquittal. Praise God. Praise God. That's what he means, a legal overtone, an advocate, a counselor. Yours might say comforter. That's another translation. And all these are fair game. You see, this word is so rich with meaning that all of these come into play. And the idea of comforter uh, isn't what you would think of like soothing, you know, somebody who's crying or Maybe that nice quilt that comes over you that just brings you comfort in a time. Or a teddy bear when you're stressed. Not that type of comfort. It's not the type of comfort that he's talking about. The, the English word comfort actually comes from two Latin words joined together. Uh, fortis. You think of fortify. is what? To strengthen, right? A fort. Strong. Fortify and come is, is an enhancing type word. It, it gives force to that. So with strength. It's, re- it's related to cum laude, if you graduated like that in college, cum laude, or magna cum laude, with great honor, with strength, fortify, comfort, with strength. So the old English uh, in the 17th century, this is the idea it had, to strengthen, to come with strength, not the idea as much as consolation as we think of it or of ease, but with strength, the comforter. He's going he's gonna to come, and what is he going to give us strength to do? He's going to give us strength to bear witness to the truth of the gospel in hostile situations, isn't he? Amen. He's going to come with strength to encourage one another in challenging trials. 
He's going to come give us strength when we're weary to serve one another like he served the disciples in John 13 in great acts of humility that require divine strength to do and persist in. He's going to empower you for obedience of faith and trust in Christ. Now, another thing happened to me, my time in the police department. One day, I'm thinking about preaching one of these all the time, (laughs) the way the world's going. This, what is this? It's a bulletproof vest, right? Ballistic vest, you might call it. So we would put one of these on. This is a soft one. They have the big armor plates. If you're in the military, you go to the, to the field, you're going to be wearing something that's a lot heavier, a lot bigger. This is designed to go underneath your clothes. Now, one day in the police department, when I was an officer, we got new vests. Now, there's different brands of vests. There's Second Life. There's um, Gauls, 511, all these types of things, dragon skin. Uh, and one day, this one's not made for me. It's not mine got it from a friend, okay? Um, One day in the police department, I get my new vest, and I'm like, yeah, sweet, I get a new vest, because they stink if you sweat in them, walking around. And I get a new vest, and and I get my new vest, and and it's kind of neat, because it's fitted for me. They, they, They measure your chest size, and of course, you know that day, you're like, right? It's fitted for me. But a very interesting thing that nobody noticed is I took off that vest one day. I took off that vest, and I looked on the inside to see the brand just because I was curious as to what it is. I took it off, and because of my Bible background, there's different brands. This is actually the same brand of the one I had, different model. The model I had had a very interesting word right here in the tag. That word would be instantly recognized by any Bible college student and it was by me. It was paraclete. Paraclete. That is a very unique word. Um, That is not a normal word. You don't see that in the English language. You almost don't see it anywhere. It's almost an exclusively biblical idea that survived today because of the scriptures. The idea of a paraclete, that's a Greek word that is underneath this word, helper, in verse 16. It's underneath this word. I will give you another helper. That's paraclete. That's what's translated counselor, comforter, advocate. And so to my surprise, this, I went to Bible college before I was an officer. I, I look and I'm like, what? Paraclete? And that sent my brain thinking, nobody else would catch on to this. I was like, it's cool. It's a paraclete. Why is that cool? Because it's a comforter, isn't it? It's to strengthen, isn't it? Now, think about it like this. If you get shot with one of these, does it feel good? You want to do a live demonstration? You guys are like, whoa, this has just got intense. No, 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 I'm not going to do a live demonstration. If you get shot with one of these, this isn't designed to make the pain go away. It's designed so you don't what? Die. What happens is the Kevlar absorbs the impact of the projectile, spreads it over your body. But I tell you what, I can't speak from experience, by the way. Maybe some of you can. I saw what it did to the, to the dummy. It will hurt. It'll probably drop you, maybe break some ribs, depending. 
but it's going to hurt still. But what it does is it absorbs the impact so you don't die. Instead, you can live second life. Comfort, it strengthens you. It might even protect you enough so you can fight back. Comforter, the paracletes. Now, if you think about this, this is the way the Holy Spirit is, isn't he? He doesn't take the pain, the comfort he gives, we want it to take the pain away. We want it to stop the fiery darts of the enemy completely so we don't feel anything. So I can go home and just... That's not the way the Holy Spirit works. He's a paraclete. He covers us. He protects us so that we don't die. And he gives us strength so we can fight the good fight with the sword of the Spirit and wage war against spiritual powers in dark places, isn't he? But he doesn't take the pain completely away from the trial. It's still hard. Still takes effort, still takes perseverance. So we're told to stand firm. Stand over and over, Paul saying, stand. And this is the way the Spirit comforts us. He strengthens us. He is our paraclete, our advocate, our counselor, our comforter in all these things. Now, the comfort of the Spirit cannot be experienced. This is important. Outside the path of obedience. The comfort of the Spirit cannot be experienced outside the path of, the obedient, of obedience. Now, of course, the unbeliever, of course, in one sense, the Holy Spirit of God works in them such that he picks them up from their disobedience and gives them a new heart and causes them to obey in our salvation. That is correct. But in the aim here, what, what Paul, what Jesus is talking about here is the obedience of faith that makes us more like Christ, that comforts us in all of our affliction as he is intending to here with the departure of Jesus, that this cannot be experienced outside the path of obedience. And it's also worth noting that there is a legitimate experiential role to the activity of the Holy Spirit, isn't there? We don't like experience-type things. Why? Because our culture is one that experience is the standard of truth, right? I'm not going to believe something unless I experience it, unless I see it with my eyes, unless I can touch it with my hands. Prove it to me. Let me experience this as true, and then it is true. That is a very dangerous way to determine what truth is and is not. However, on the other side of things, on the other side of things, there is a legitimate experiential role to the activity of the Holy Spirit. Why do I say that? The reason I say this is because, remember, the disciples are troubled, right? They're experiencing sorrow, they're experiencing sorrow, turmoil, fear. Jesus is trying to calm their souls with a promise. The promise falls flat if there's not going to be any actual experienced comfort, is there? It'll fall flat. It'll be useless. Like, don't worry, it's going to be okay. This should comfort you, but I don't expect you to feel any actual encouragement from these words. No, no, no. There is a legitimate experiential role of the Holy Spirit as truth is guiding and informing and enabling our experiencing of the divine power through the Holy Spirit. This is a good thing. Now, let me give you an example of this. Many of you have at times remarked that after I've prayed with you, maybe you were having a hard time, you were just 
still don't know what to do, Pastor, just think I'm overwhelmed, and there's this, and, and you're fearful, and you're struggling, and you've remarked that after you've maybe spoken to me, and I've, I've prayed for you, that you've just felt this, like, a peace, a, a lifting of that burden, a, a calming of your mind, a tranquility to your disposition afterwards, a calming effect. I just want to be the first to say that that wasn't me. What you experienced wasn't Pastor Randy. What you experienced was the promise of God and the power of the Spirit. What you experienced was just me as a believer, follower of Jesus, invoking the Holy Spirit of God to do what he promised to do to help you in a time of weakness. That's what you experienced. That if we trust in him, if we trust in his promises, if we call on him in a moment of need, that he hears us. This isn't part of my pastoral superpowers. I'm still waiting to get those. It's a privilege. It's available to every single son and daughter of God as a result of our advocate of our other helper, of our intercessor, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the intermediator. There's one God and one man. Sorry, there's one God. There's one mediator and one man, Christ Jesus. He is our high priest who has passed through the heavens, who stands before us night and day, interceding on behalf of his people. And it is him that you have privileged access to because of the death, burial, and resurrection that at any time you don't need to come to Pastor Randy, although I'm very glad to always pray for you. You can literally go to anybody. You can be that person to offer and call down comfort and help in time of need for somebody else. What if you didn't just say, I'll pray for you, but you actually just said, you know what, can I, can I pray for you right now? Can I, can I seek God's face for you right now? I hear you hurting. I hear you struggling. Let me just do that right now. That would be very encouraging, more than you know, to that person before you. It is a privilege you have because of the work of Christ. And know that when you pray for one another, you are tapping into the Holy Spirit of God, the divine working of the Son of God, to the Father, obtaining exactly what you need, the help you need, the comfort you need, the advocate you need in a time of trouble. Don't underestimate the power of your prayers. Jesus said, if you ask anything in my name... We spoke about what that does not mean on Wednesday. I want to just praise God for the, the promise here. If you ask anything in my name, and you should know what it means to ask something for the name of Jesus, for the glory of God. If you ask anything in my name, whatever you ask in my name, I'm going to do. And James tells us we have not because we ask not. Don't underestimate the power of prayer. We try very hard to make times of prayer in the corporate worship service here at Kahalui Baptist Church, not just transition times. 
Okay, everybody's eyes are, you know, everybody's got their eyes closed. Now we can transition, and it's kind of like, ooh, you open your eyes, I'm here. We try not to do that. We try very intentionally to pray when we're praying. We're in the throne room of God together, corporately pleading God to glorify his name in this place. Don't underestimate your small group nights of prayer, corporate prayer. This is the power, the comfort of the Spirit. He goes on to give a few things that the Spirit does in this context. A few verses later, a few things is that he sent from the Father in the name of Jesus. And that he's going to teach us all things concerning what? What are the all things that he's going to teach us? He's going to teach us all things concerning God and what is pleasing to him. It's important to see the role of the mind in Christianity. This isn't passive. Christianity is not like this, kind of like this, uh, let me just see what happens to me. I'm just going to show. No, no, no. There's a very pass, uh, active role of the mind engaging. Renew your mind by the word of God. This engaging of your mind. So I have to ask, if the Spirit teaches, it's worth asking, are you learning? Do you have a humble disposition to be taught by the Spirit of God? So many times, believers aren't learning. Maybe you come in, this is going to be a little bit of conviction, you come in and you leave and you forget everything that you heard in a service. Or you read your Bible daily, every day, you got your verse a day app, you read it, and as soon as you walk out the door, you're like, what did I read today? I don't know. Oh, well. Beloved, the Spirit is teaching, but are you learning? Are you a good student of the Word of God? Are you applying what you learn? The Spirit's going to teach you all things. He's also going to bring to your remembrance all these things. How many times are we told, I don't have a good what? Memory. That's true. You probably don't. Probably don't. Mine is slipping as the years go by. More and more. Feel it? Slipping more and more. But beloved, please know, this isn't contingent on your own ability to remember as you are in the Word of God, as you are putting in your, your grace-filled, faith-driven efforts to know God's Word, even though you forget a lot, you will be so surprised if you seek to engage somebody and encourage them what the Spirit brings to your mind. What He recalls, and you're like, dude, I don't even know what I said. I don't know where that came from. I'm glad it helped you, though. This is the Spirit's working. He is calling these things to your remembrance. Not only when you're seeking to encourage others, but when you're fighting sin yourself. Are you filling yourself with the scriptures, with the word of God? He will bring it to your remembrance in a time of need. So that's number one, the promised spirit. We could talk a lot about that. We're going to talk more about him in chapter 16 and chapter 17. There's a section in chapter 15 about the Holy Spirit. This is a long discourse. We're going to talk more about him. I want to move on to the promise of adoption. The promise of adoption. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. 
And he'll go on to say in that section that if you love me, whoever has my commandments, verse 21, and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. And then verse 23, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. You see the emphasis coming of obedience and love. And my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our what in him? Our home, our abode, our dwelling. Romans 8 says this, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoptions as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. It's a powerful, powerful promise left to us by Christ. He's not going to leave us as orphans. We're going to be alone in this world without uh, parental oversight or nobody to care for us or to be helpless by those who might take advantage of orphans. We are sons and daughters through adoption. And because of this working of Christ and adoption as sons, we are now indwelt by God. Let me just be the first to say, I have not come across any theologian, any scholar, who can fully expound on what it means for the Father to be in the Son, and the Son to be in you, and the fact that they are making their home in you. They try to explain it, but at the end of the day, it's one of those concepts that it just, just blows our mind. You could ask all sorts of questions of this text. Is this all three members of the Godhead, Father, Son, Spirit, indwelling you? Or is this their mutual indwelling by agency of the Holy Spirit alone so that for the Spirit to be in you is to have the Father and Son in you? What is this? They're just all over the place. Because it is so rich what is meant. At the very least, at the very least, while the full implications will elude us, we can at least see and know a little bit and be blown away by the fact that God is pleased to make his home with us. Amen. Amen. That God is pleased to make his home, his dwelling, his abode, his place of residence with us. Have you ever thought about that? Think about your home. What is your home like? What is it like? See, when somebody lives with you, there's an impact, isn't there, around your home? You can't avoid it. They, they, they inevitably leave signs of life. Now, I don't know you, all of you very, maybe, I mean, I do actually know a lot of you, but I haven't been in a ton of your homes. And if you're a visitor here, I can walk into your house. If you're visiting with us, I've never met you before, maybe. I could walk into your house not seeing any of your family members. Not, you can take all the pictures down. And I could deduce just by walking around your house, and you're like, that sounds creepy. It would be creepy, but we're just, for the sake of the point. I could look around your house, and I could tell you a fair amount about your family just from looking at things in your house. If I walked into your house and there was baby toys, 
diapers. I don't have to use, it's not rocket science, right? There's probably a what there? A baby. If I walk in there and see other toys and food on the wall and claw marks across the couch and everything, I'll deduce you have a toddler <laughs> or a badger <laughs> or both. Right? And if I walk through and find these other things, I can, I can dim Children have, leave childlike things around. Teenagers leave teenager things around. Seniors leave senior things around. We're going to have a lot of fun with all this for a long time. The point is, when somebody lives with you, it makes a difference. And when God lives in you, he leaves divine things around. When God's home is in you, he leaves God-like things around. What is this fruit over here? Ooh, that's sweet. That's love. Ooh, what is this over here? That tastes like joy. When God is in you, he leaves God-like things around, and the impact is undeniable. This is the promise of adoption. And the promise of peace, man... We'll go over this one fast, unfortunately. This is a beautiful one. He, he goes on to say in verse uh, 27, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. I'll, I'll close with this one. We'll go over it very quickly. Roman, uh, Philippians chapter 4. This is probably one of the greatest promises of peace. If you want to practice peace, if you're somebody who's given to anxiety, fear, worry, this is going to be something you want to memorize, write on your mirror, put on your dashboard, and really just meditate on all the time. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness, reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your request be made known to God. In verse 7, here it is. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding will guard, garrison, fortify your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things, what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me. Practice these things and what? And the God of Peace will be with will be with you. Amen. You can't hear Jesus saying, My peace I give to you, not as the world gives in first century, and not think about the Pax Romana. What is that? The peace of Rome. You can't, you can't hear Jesus in the backdrop and not think about the peace of Rome, the Pax Romana. What did they do? See, Rome was known for its empire of peace, but yet it was a false peace, wasn't it? One writer of the day said that they create a desert and call it peace. See, the peace of Rome was obtained by the brutal sword. Anywhere there was uprest, what did they do? crucifixions, death. Yeah, it was peaceful, all right. The peace of Rome. You can't hear this from Christ's seat. 
and not think about the peace of Rome. The peace of Christ and the kingdom of God was not obtained by using the sword, but by Christ taking the sword on behalf of his people. Very different, not as the world gives, do I leave my peace with you. This would later become so influential that it would become a Christian greeting full of meaning, peace to you, grace to you, and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. This would be a greeting. Wouldn't it be great if we greeted each other like that? So much better than, hey. Hey. Peace. Peace to you. This peace was a part of the covenant blessings, both the old and new covenant blessings. Numbers chapter 6, verse 24, the Aaronic blessing, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. And here it is. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. This would characterize, this peace of God would characterize the coming kingdom of the Messiah, the age of the Messiah. Isaiah 9, 6, and 7. We read this in Christmas time. His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of peace. And of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. My peace I give to you. I leave with you. Not as the world gives do I give it to you. And see, the peace of God that Christ leaves with us is predicated on our having peace with God that he was about to obtain in a few hours. Romans 5, verse 1, some of you know it, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. Christ is our peace. So I ask in closing this morning, do you have not just the peace of God, but do you have peace with God? Do you have peace with God? How would you know if you did or didn't? You might all say yes, but how would you know? How would you know that God is, in fact, at peace with you? That is the most important question in your life today. If you don't know how to answer that question, I wouldn't leave here without getting that answer. How can I know? How can I know? How can I know that I have peace with God? How can you know? If you don't know, there's a good chance you probably don't have it. Do you have peace with God? And then to my brothers and sisters in here, this morning in Christ, I ask, do you have the peace of God? Is it ruling and reigning in your heart and mind? Are you walking in the Spirit to experience the peace of God through Christ, who is our peace. Let's pray. Father, your word is so rich. These, these closing words of Christ are so full of comfort and encouragement. May your spirit now do what you promised that he would do. Would you advocate? Would you comfort would you counsel those in this room who are hearing your words and draw them to faith in Jesus? Draw them to glorify the Father. 
and draw them to keep your commands through faith and love. And Lord, I do pray if there are any who don't know, if they have peace with God, that they would come today, this morning, and find out how they can know for sure and have Christ as their peace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now is